Welcome to the One Signal Podcast, where we aim to help companies build meaningful and lasting relationships with their customers. This is your host, Josh Wetzel. We've got great guests today for you. Forrester VP and Principal Analyst, Joe Stanhope, and Forrester Principal TEI Consultant, Sean Owens. Sean is here to talk about the study One Signal commissioned on the total economic impact of the product. And Joe will discuss Forrester's uh, moments, moments that marketers live in, and sort of how they think about modern marketing. So we appreciate you both joining us today. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, great to be here. How are you both doing? <laughs> Good, thanks. Great. Good. Thanks it's a little cold. It is a little snowy outside. <laughs> nice. Well, we did talk pre-show a little bit about the weather, so I won't gloat. It's all about time of year. And I think there's even a mention of seasons. And I have to say there, there is something beautiful about the seasons, particularly like late fall and some of the, the nice summer stuff. As my wife complains, because she's used to the east northeastern weather, she would love mm-hmm. it in the summer if she could wear a tank top out at night. So for those of you who aren't familiar listening to this podcast, California has great weather year round, which is where I'm coming from. But in the summer, it gets cold at night even. It's warm in the day. Anyhow. We won't spend much, much too much time there. Okay, well, I would love to talk about and kick off this stuff uh, with you, Sean. I want to talk about the One Signal Commissioned uh, Total Economic Impact Study through Forrester. Uh, what is a total economic impact study? Yeah, well, I'll tell you a bit about TEI in general, and then I'll talk about the, the study we did for you. So TEI, or Total Economic Impact, is Forrester's business case analysis methodology. It is traditional ROI analysis, so we look at benefits and costs. We also risk adjust every benefit and cost to provide a more credible and conservative view. And we look at what we call flexibility. And those are kind of later options. You can invest a little more to get a little bit more benefit or perhaps a lot more to get a lot more benefit. So those aren't necessarily included in the core analysis, but they're things that are important to any business decision maker and need to be highlighted in a business case. The way that we do a TEI study where we're doing it for a technology vendor is to learn as much as we can and work with our analysts to get everyone up to speed. And then we interview four of your customers or four or more of your customers to learn about their experiences in using and implementing the solution. In this case, OneSignal, of course, OneSignal's messaging solution. And then we try to ask as many detailed metric-focused questions as we can, because what we want to get out of it is the ability to build a composite organization and a financial model where we can highlight specific benefits and specific changes and drivers that can lead to value, lead to value in terms of process improvements, time savings, cost savings, but the end result of all that is financial improvement. And so for the One Signal TEI study, we built a composite organization based on the four interviews that we conducted. The interviewees were in the organizations and the hundreds of thousands of registered users to over 10 million registered users. Our composite, we have an organization, we've estimated about a 400 million revenue just to give a size to the business. They've got 2 million registered users, which for our model are also paid subscribers. And of course, they've opted into one signal messaging. And the result of implementing one signal messaging compared to their either very brute force manual kind of process or, or legacy solution that they were using, the value enabled by implementing one signal was 2.7 million in total benefits over our three-year analysis period, and that's a risk-adjusted present value number. The net present value for the investment is 2.2 million, 
and that equates to an ROI of 425%. The benefits themselves include revenue and profit from new subscribers, increased retention, and improved abandoned cart conversion. Of course, again, all enabled by the implementation and improved by the implementation of OneSignal. Some examples, we spoke to a sports league and their on-time and informative app notifications led to more views of their live events because before they were basically last to phone. Their solution yep. was horrible and they were not gaining new registered users and they were leaving for other services. They were trying, you know, they tried this out, didn't work, they went someplace else. Now that's not the case. A news organization is using one signal to deliver quality, informative, timely messages, in, you know, as much desired content as a user might like. Some don't, you know, want a few messages. Some are looking for uh, frequent app notifications because of the news or sports or a specific player or celebrity and so on. But just the quality of that content and the focus on that strategy has helped show their users, their subscribers, the value of the service. And then they've also added, if a user happens to step away for a month or two, they get a reminder to encourage them to come back, remind them of the value in the content that they're getting. And again, as I said, that can really impact improving customer retention. Yep. They're, build, they're basically building journeys. Yeah. And our food and beverage organization would send cart reminders using one signal to improve their abandoned cart conversion. Somebody would fill a cart with some with an order, they might forget or step away for a minute. And, you know, some people did decide to leave to not make a purchase, but those that legitimately forgot, that reminder was really helpful and brought them back and completed that transaction. So in summary, one signal enables fast delivery of messages at scale combined with a strategy to provide quality content to these you know, registered users and paying subscribers led to the, the customer growth and retention from, you know, as shown in the examples I shared with you. So that's just a quick summary. And I know there's even, you know, <laughs> probably could go even a little quicker. That, that was a bit detailed, yeah, but um, encourage you to, it is a summary of a full study that you can download from OneSignal's website. And I definitely encourage everyone to take a look at that and really get under, the, you know, even more details and, and, and even specific benefit tables that you can walk through to build your own business case. Yeah. Thank you, Sean. That was great. And appreciate all the work on the total economic impact study as well. And there's some, yeah, there's some great anecdotes in there, I think, from uh, mm -hmm. the ability for companies to be able to, to quickly get up to speed, you know, so that the time to value is, is quick and some of the other things you touched on. So it's great, which is a good segue into to Joe. So Joe, you presented in a webinar, the Forrester framework of marketers win and consumers moments. Can you please explain what this concept of moments are? Sure. Moments are, are really a way of uh, breaking down a larger construct of customer experience really into individual interactions or, or engagements, right? It's a very atomic view of customer interaction, right? You could look at it as, uh, and we define it here, as the point when a person interacts with a brand to get what he or she wants immediately and in context. And so what a moment really is, is this temporal singular interaction, right? At a particular time, a particular place, a specific situation. And moments combine, like they ladder up to that broader customer journey, like you mentioned earlier. So really it's a way of breaking customer experiences down to that specific experience. And I think what can be very different about it is it's very proactive on the part of the brand. 
right? Uh, also, I would say that context is really the most critical element of thinking about moments, the exact channel, the, the need of the customer, uh, prior interactions all inform what the customer wants and needs, the exchange of value between the brand and that customer, and what ultimately gets delivered. And when you think about it, moments occur all the time, everywhere in the customer lifecycle, every single day, millions and billions of times. And I think that's kind of the exciting part for a marketer is being able to break down these journeys and these moments and understand how and why, what kind of value they can inject into these moments to make them even more valuable and even more performant from the brand's perspective. Uh, and thinking about every moment in that customer life cycle, when you're acquiring a customer, when you're advertising, a customer service moment, a selling moment, a, a moment with a product can be very important and powerful. Moments around loyalty with an experienced or established customer. So these moments are happening all around us. And again, they ladder up to that journey and they can be used to bind together these broader journeys to span different phases, which I think is where a lot of brands struggle. How can you go very cleanly across moments from, say, acquiring a customer to onboarding, from onboarding to loyalty or CRM? So using them, making them work together and understanding how to provide value to that customer. That's great. So the basic question would be, is moments-based marketing, you know, this notion that, that you're talking about and enforcers put forth, is that akin to or similar to real-time marketing? And how would that map to journeys or customer journey? I would say there are implications of real-time in moments-based marketing. I mean, the, the term real-time has been around for a very long time, and it has some specific connotations, both positive and, and some areas of challenge around it, right? <laughs> it's yep. easy to use the word. It's, it's really hard to be real-time all the time. And nor is it always necessary, but certainly moments, because of the that individualized, highly performant nature of them, does imply a high degree of velocity right? Uh, the ability to understand that a certain customer is interacting with me right now, understanding and decisioning around what does that customer need from the brand right now and projecting, right, that experience back to them as they need it or want it or being proactive with them. That implies a tremendous technical capability, right, to essentially operate at the speed of the customer, as I like to put it, uh, which does get you very close to real time, highly transactional, highly individualized interactions. So in some ways, I would perceive moments as a more practical view of what real time can deliver. Yep. Okay. And actually one thought just came in that we hadn't discussed pre-show, but I just give you a quick take on, if I'm a business and I'm thinking about moments or these collection of all these different interactions you're having with a customer, how would you advise someone to prioritize which moments to focus on? Yeah, that's probably the right question to ask, because uh, I think a, a lot of companies, uh, while they might appreciate the concept of moments, it can be quite overwhelming, right? Because you feel like maybe I have to go boil the ocean and try to optimize, fix, upgrade, create all these moments. And that feels very overwhelming, very time-consuming, resource-intensive, expensive, hard, which is a tough ask when marketers already have quite a day job <laughs> that they are working through. Uh, so that starts to feel like a big ask. So there's two dimensions to this. One is understanding and pinpointing the critical moments. You don't have to fix or upgrade or change every moment. You have to decide and prioritize which moments you're going to really go after as a business. And then you create essentially once you can identify the key moments or the, the moments that would benefit from investment, you can create a road 
those moments are off the top of your head, important transition points where higher or low emotional responses occur, where there is a particular predilection or correlation to conversion, right, or alignment with some kind of customer value or return on investment. So I think that there's an analytics project, essentially, to look at and identify those key moments and essentially rank order them based on value, both to the customer and to the brand. Uh, And that can be done certainly through a variety of qualitative and quantitative methods. And then once you sort of have that list of here are the moments or the areas of investment, as it were, it's breaking moments down into their constituent parts of how can we apply the right context to delivering a moment? What channel do we want to deliver a moment in? What content and creative aspects are involved in a moment? Who's really going to receive and see that moment? And so you're really understanding which moments are important and then breaking down further to invest in specific components of the moment. And again, that goes to really break a seemingly large uh, problem, right, down into a smaller, more practical planned approach to progressing how you deliver moments to consumers. Yeah, that's great. I appreciate the thoughtful answer. The secondary question there, and you've got to the core of the answer here, but how would you, if you're advising a company, how would you initiate that shift to adopting a moments-based customer engagement strategy versus what they're doing today? Yeah, well, once you've identified where, where those key moments are and you can identify areas for improvement, then you're really looking into, you know, specifically what kind of upgrades or changes or resources can we bring to bear, right? And for a lot of organizations that does involve some updates to some of their technologies and data capabilities, understanding a customer's context is pretty data intensive. Now that data is out there for sure. It's floating around all about us right now, kind of like the matrix or, or some visualization like that. But we have to be able to ingest that information, make sense of it, uh, decision on it. So having the right technologies, the marketing technologies to ingest that data, help us decision, start unifying the way we orchestrate across channels so we don't have such a fragmented approach. Um, There's oftentimes this follow-on effort around how do we master the data and technology to really streamline how we understand and deliver moments. Um, And that really is where the rubber hits the road uh, beyond the strategy of moments. So the natural next question would be, do you believe a company can have, or what's your perspective on company having to have a cohesive customer communication strategy, specifically in implementing customers' moments using point solutions? Well, everything's possible, but it is very difficult. (laughs) Um, We are at a stage generally in the world of marketing technology where the MarTech stack is pretty splintered and fragmented. And that is an organic occurrence, right? It's not to be pejorative and say that there's been a problem or mistakes have been made, just to say that, uh, as you appreciate, marketing is a moving target, right? And marketers are always adding new technologies and capabilities in the effort to keep up with what they need to do as a business. But what that has invariably created is an extremely complex, fragmented uh, set of marketing technologies and data. Um, And that works against this streamlining need to understand and deliver on moments. So a lot of brands, while they agree with moments, are really thinking about how do we reel this complexity in on the technology and data side so that we can actually deliver the experiences we want. Uh, There are, you know, some hacks and short-term capabilities and processes and workflows you can do to work with some of the current technologies. 
Uh, most brands aren't going to completely replatform everything. That is often not uh, advisable uh, or practical. Yeah. Um, but there is a fair amount of investing in new technologies and capabilities to start binding together more of the orchestration, more of the data and insights capability. So you're essentially abstracting the delivery capability off from a lot of the decisioning uh, and data and orchestration to create a lot of streamlining. And so we do see a lot of that happening. And it probably is, for the majority of firms, going to be a necessary technical step to really achieving something that's omni-channel in terms of moments. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I think part of it's 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 organically happened because there's so much innovation that's occurred. That's right. 15 years ago, we we had these phones, but they weren't our life's remote controls and we didn't live in them. Today, I think all of us live in our phone, right? You're getting your email there, you're you're getting your sports scores or text messages, notifications from apps that are crucial to your life. So it's a challenge. Talk to me real quick about what are you seeing the shift is happening with data deprecation where you can't track as well anymore or ad acquisitions more difficult. Are you seeing those factors play in here at all? Like what, what's your point of view there? I think it is an aspect and a set of exogenous factors that brands need to be considering and baking into their planning right now. Right now, there's, uh, in terms of data deprecation, which can be an umbrella term yeah. to describe changes in consumer behavior, such as our use of ad blockers is a good example, or changes in the regulatory environment, the privacy legislation, changes in the way some large companies control their own data, you know, like the Googles of the world or in Amazon as well as the literal deprecation of data availability from various operating systems and browsers. And right now, that's where a lot of the interest is in what changes to things like IDFA or third-party cookies are going to do to a lot of the digital advertising infrastructure that we've become very used to in the last 10 or 15 years. That's where the heat is now and a lot of the emphasis. How do you measure? How do you execute and deploy in a cookie-less world when we effectively built the entire <laughs> advertising ecosystem on third-party cookies. And that is a significant and, and real challenge that the industry needs to work through. But more broadly than that, and the industry will find a way forward, uh, we always do. But what it also means is that a lot of different data assets are going to change for marketers, um, even beyond, say, advertising you know, and, and programmatic uh, display media. What uh, we're really talking about is a large-scale shift to emphasizing first-party data as the coin of the realm. Right. And it's not just the gold standard. First party data will be effectively the only standard for data moving forward. And that affects customer marketing loyalty, which rolls up then to this conversational moments is going to be powered very much by first party data by extension of these data deprecation trends. And so firms really need to be thinking about a customer first first party oriented data strategy by which they are going to make the most of their existing first party data assets that they already possess. They need to seek out ways to generate yet more first-party, zero-party, second-party data by incentivizing consumers to share information, working with the right partners. They need to learn how to store and persist and manage that first-party data because that's really going to be the primary data fuel right, for this moment's technology engine. And so it requires a real rethinking of customer engagement strategy to make it data friendly and to create that value, that quid pro quo, where you incentivize the consumer to share information with you over time and to have the ability to manage and handle that data. So it's inspiring a big rethink on a lot of our traditional assumptions around data usage and data storage and data collection. Cool. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate that. 
Sean, over to you. How do you discuss with companies and advise them on evaluating return on investment in, in their tool selection and usage? Yeah. Well, thanks, Josh. It's a good question. We would advise, I think, a couple things, a couple main things at least. First is to consider benefits over several years. Investing in a technology solution can take a while to ramp up, can take a while to fully deploy across the organization, or at least the, the initial plans across the organization. And you might even add more later and decide to expand. So I think a multi-year view is always a great idea, uh, whether three years or even longer. And you know, keep an open mind of benefits. It's not just fewer support calls or IT will spend less time managing a service than a server, for example. But consider you know, what all the other employees are doing. In you know, OneSignal's case, uh, somebody had to push the button to send messages before. And some of those uh, legacy solutions, as, as our interviewees reported, were a bit difficult to use. And in fact, kind of inflexible. They had to prepare things a day in advance. So those kinds of things can lead to at least improvements and employee satisfaction improvements, as well as often financial improvements, financial results. And also for costs, uh, definitely look at all the areas that you can think of. Obviously, there's licensing or, or purchase costs for hardware and software. IT resource needs, probably pretty obvious as well. But you know, again, think about how a solution might impact everyone else and what new time they might spend. For example, with OneSignal, the TEI in the benefits, we talk about all these new messages that they're able to send with the fast and scalable platform, able to get something ready and get it sent. And it's first to phone or one of the first to phone messages that makes it valuable for them to put the effort into, into making that happen. Uh, but somebody has to write the message. So we did include a little bit of cost there to incorporate that new task. Certainly lots of value that comes out of it, but there is a little bit of investment there. And so, you know, for any cost benefit analysis, you should you should think about those kinds of things as well. Cool. Well, I appreciate that. I know I appreciate everything you guys both did on this work. So I want to thank you both, Joe and Sean, for joining the podcast. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. For all you listening out there, please subscribe to One Signal Podcast at your preferred podcast directory, Spotify, Apple, Google, TuneIn, Stitcher, and probably a few dozen more. If you're looking for a great customer engagement software used by more than 1 million businesses across the globe, try One Signal for free today. In the meantime, everybody have a great day. Take care. Bye.